Welcome to Is This Working, a podcast about the messy parts of work. With me, Anna Kodrirado. And me, Tiffany Philippou. This week, it's the season finale. Do you want more tools to improve your working life? Then join Is This Working on Patreon, the community platform for supporting creators like us. Support us on Patreon and you'll get perks, including a weekly reading list from us packed with things that will make your working life better. Find us at patreon.com slash is this working show. Last series was what we called the pandemic season, a time when a shockwave rippled through our work and our lives. And this season, it was all about what came afterwards, after that initial shock, the aftershock, if you will, as we found ourselves going through a period of adjustment and in many ways, hopefully reaching some form of of acceptance. That's not to say that, at least speaking from, for me personally, I definitely weren't kicking and screaming through that adjustment phase. But nonetheless, uh, lockdown has lifted now and we, are, we have still been left with the effects of that. But, and I'm trying very hard to not use the phrase new normal. However, we are now in this new phase of our lives, both in terms of our work and our personal lives and everything else. So this week, we really wanted to reflect on what we've learned over these past few months, um, because this is our last episode of the season and we are going to be going on on a break for a few months. So we just wanted to take a moment to pause and reflect over everything that's just happened. Yes, Anna is right. We are indeed going on a break. We've both done a lot of growth, but also a lot of contemplation the last few months and we're tired and so we're going to take some rest take some time to rebuild so we can come bouncing back and being able to truly continue to fulfill this work that brings us so much joy yeah I think one of the things I'll be doing in the break is re-listening to that brilliant episode we recorded with Harriet Minter what feels like a lifetime ago now which was called bouncing back but yes let's get on with a season finale As I said, we're tired. We had an episode where we talked about our burnout, which for me was quite a sort of pinnacle moment of what you've described as the aftershock of everything that's been happening. Yeah, we both got burned out. I mean, I would say that is one of the major things that's happened to us over the last few months and over the last season. For me, at least, it very much culminated from the latent sense of anxiety that I was experiencing as a result of the pandemic, but then also just the very classic definition of burnout, which is when the energy and effort that you're putting into your work is just not being reflected in its output. So all of that kind of came together and I got burned out. Um, 
I would say I'm coming out the tail end of it now. I've, I've put some measures in place. And one of the things that really helped was the fact that over the season, we've actually been, ta- if, I, if I think and I look back over the topics that we've talked about, the recurring theme that has come up over this season is the importance of looking after your mental health and well-being. An episode that really stuck out for me in season four was the interview that we did with Katie Morton, who, for anybody who hasn't yet listened to that episode, Katie is a licensed therapist. She's based in the States, in California, and she's also a YouTuber. She makes educational videos about mental health on her YouTube channel, which has, I think, nearly a million subscribers now. And Katie is just absolutely brilliant. She's so kind-hearted and generous and just has such a clear drive and passion to help people with their mental health and just to normalize conversations about it and that discussion we had with her which was all about the effects of the pandemic on our mental health it really made me feel better and I think will be a really great resource for anyone who listens even in the sort of the months or years to come who is just struggling with work at the moment and need some a some reassurance that's normal and then b also those practical tips for ways that you can actually look after your well-being in these times of troubles yes i mean it almost seems mad to not think that work and mental health are so closely linked but i think actually maybe pre-pandemic it was actually less obvious that these two things had to be taken into consideration so it doesn't surprise me that this most recent series has become all about that increased compassion, that increased awareness for mental health in a way because things got so bad for so many people. And we also did an episode around job loss and we we had to talk about that in relation to the impact of um, on your mental health. We, we didn't just say, you know, here's five steps to get a new job or whatever. Like that would almost seem, that would seem like actual madness now in the time that we're in. It's interesting because I do think that in many ways, of course, the pandemic has been a huge shock and has created shockwaves in our working lives. But I do think also in many ways it has just brought to the fore lots of things that were already bubbling beneath the surface, mental health being one of them. People experienced mental health issues at work as a result of work and just also in their personal lives, which of course that then affected their work long before the pandemic. The pandemic, the difference has been that the pandemic has just created space for the normalization of these sorts of conversations and the ability to actually say, I'm struggling right now. So I think that's been in many ways quite a silver lining of this whole situation. One of the badly wrapped gifts that the pandemic has served us. I do love that expression because it's such a positive sounding, but also staying grounded comment. Um, the other thing as well is it's further proven something we've talked about since before day one, which is this, I don't believe in this concept around work-life balance. I have said that for so long because you are one person who comes to work, who is at home and you bring your mind with you. So the reason I do this work is because without a fulfilling or enjoyable or whatever it might be work positive thing within your working life that seeps into the negativity of the rest of your life and even if you close the laptop and you do a little um 
you know, wind down routine and say your prayers and write in your gratitude journal. The reality is if your um, working life is causing you stress or impacting your mental health, that's going to impact your life. And similarly, that's true the other way around as well. And what we have seen as well is that this, what's happened with the pandemic has also had that problem where suddenly everybody is struggling and then that also has 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 bled into their work as well so the two things just can't exist separately we talk about how work the concept of how work-life balance is bollocks a lot but we labor this point because we believe really strongly in it and i think for me it really comes down to this idea that very often when and i count myself in this, this was definitely me. And speaking from personal experience, the pandemic really showed this up for me, that when we're striving for work-life work life balance, we're often doing so in a way where we're seeking a solution for the symptoms rather than the cause. So we will try to use techniques like morning routines or wind down routines, as you've just mentioned, to find some kind of balance in, in just a very basic way. So what I mean by that is we don't want to be working quote unquote too many hours and that we want to find some kind of balance quite literally be between the time spent on work and in leisure time when really what I have started doing now is trying to prioritize focusing on just finding a more of a central balance in myself so it's less about work-life balance and more about just being a balanced person inside. And that to me has been something that I have really seen change as a result of the pandemic, where I, I think I used to subscribe to that idea only paying it lip service, whereas now I've really changed quite a lot about what I do and how I do it. And I think that's kind of, and that sort of, leads me on to another major point that I think is true for both of us. But over these last months, we've done a hell of a lot of growing. Um, hashtag growth, as cheesy and corny as that might sound, is very true. I feel that, you know, and this podcast is a testament to this fact, but I've been on a journey of self-development for a while now, and I feel like it has been kicked up seven gears in the last few months. Um, the main way has really been this kind of rude awakening that I have had that for a long time I was getting my priorities quite wrong in terms of how I was trying to balance my work and my life. But as I have said in several episodes over the, this last season, I've really switched up my habits and my routines and that really reflects how my priorities have shifted. It's interesting you talk about growth because we're always obviously growing, but I think I share that um, experience where it's definitely stepped up for me the last few months. And something that's actually really interesting that popped out of my coaching training the other day, just a little anecdote, um, where we were talking through values. Um, so I've been in um, the second part of my coaching training. So I've been on a five-day intensive um, training course and as part of, of that you have to obviously excavate the self and and all that kind of thing so um we were doing my values with someone and growth is a huge value of mine I care hugely about growth and what popped up it just popped out of my mouth is that growth for me is a coping mechanism 
Wow, that's deep. What does that mean? Well, I'm about to, well, exactly. So the way I handle the hardest things that come along in my life is by turning them into growth and learning opportunities and finding the purpose and meaning within them. So when you talk about the, the you know, how you've changed and grown as a result of something that's really shook you, or it's shaken all of us, that's what it's, it's, it's almost like a comfort blanket. It's a positive one. It's a good one. We like blankets. Um, but isn't that just a really interesting way of looking at it? It's really interesting because I think a lot of us, you know, we think about, sometimes we think about growth as painful, you know, quite literally we talk about growing pains, but, and that often, you know, you grow and that means that you have to leave something behind, you know, you're perhaps shedding your old, your old skin, your old habits, your old ways. And sometimes that can be a bit painful, but it's really, I love that idea of growth as a coping mechanism. Yes. You always do learn from any hardship. And I think when you do when you're seeking growth, you're actively seeking the learning and the lessons and the development opportunities. Um, so yeah, it kind of blew my own mind. I've only recently thought about it that way. So a mind blown emoji, something else that has grown, which I think, you know, I would like to take this moment to pause and celebrate some of our achievements because I know we've been talking about how it's been quite difficult over these last few months, but something that I think is really worth celebrating is the fact that this podcast has also grown along with our own self-developments. We've had some really major guests on the show. Um, I mentioned Katie Morton, but we also had the writer and podcast host Pandora Sykes. We had the former Twitter VP and now author and general work culture expert Bruce Daisley. And then we also had the brilliant pair, Anne Friedman and Amini Tussauds, who are the co-hosts of one of our favourite podcasts, Call Your Girlfriend. It's been so amazing to get to speak to such brilliant thinkers about, well, most of them, all of them pretty much shared their own messy relationships with their own work in various guises and their thinking on how work is changing and how everything is transforming right before our eyes. So that's been just something that I would really like to take a moment to sort of reflect on and also express my deep gratitude to these people who have come on our show and taken the time out to to chat to us and that we get to call that work is, is something that I will never not be mind-blowingly grateful for. Yes, I... Another thing I learned in coaching actually is I'm terrible at acknowledging when things go right. And I wrote a newsletter called Pause for Celebration. And that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to pause. But can we also talk about how we made it to number one in the careers charts? <laughs> yes, that was amazing. That was really, really brilliant. And that really is thanks to everyone listening. So if you're listening to this now, chances are that you are the reason that we got to that top spot and if you've been listening long enough you know that we are much more interested in the journey than the outcomes but nonetheless it's really fulfilling and just really kind of helps cement that what we're doing actually really is working and really is resonating with so many people so hitting that top spot really um that really made our week, <laughs> the week that it happened. Mm. And also we had one weekend where we were recommended by both the Guardian Guide and the Sunday Times Star magazine. Yes, which that was such a happy weekend for me because 
I'm a huge Guardian reader, but I also am very, very partial to the Sunday Times. I think it is, I do, I do truly think it is the Sunday paper. They really have got that marketing down. And to get recommended by both in one weekend was fab. And again, it's it's quite, especially for me as someone who is a journalist and often is writing about other people all the time to have my name come up in an article rather than as the author of the article is something that is a bit of a um, mind warp. It suits you, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of you in the public eye, you actually disappeared for a little bit when you came off social last couple of months. Yes, I did. And we are actually recording this obviously in advance of the podcast coming out. So I don't know if I will be back, will have arrived back on social by the time this goes out. But back in July, I kind of accidentally stopped using Twitter and Instagram. I ended up getting in somewhat of a Twitter, I would describe it as a Twitter spat with somebody. Um, someone who actually I know in real life and someone who it is not acceptable for me to talk to the way I spoke to them on Twitter to kind of, there is no tea to spill because with this person and I have resolved, resolved that offline, but nonetheless, it just left me thinking, my God, how am I turning into someone who gets on fights on the internet? And so I took a bit of a pause from uh, primarily, I was just going to come off Twitter, but then I thought, well, I might as well just throw Instagram into the mix as well, because it causes me anxiety in a different way. And it has been absolutely amazing. I did write about this in my newsletter. I can um, share a link for that in the show notes, but to kind of give you the abridged version here, the biggest difference that going off social made was that it just quieted that constant hum of professional envy that I didn't even realise was going on in the background. And what I mean by that is because I live and work on the internet, most of the people that I'm following and interacting with they are primarily friends, whether they're friends in real life or whether they're internet friends, but they are people in my industry all kind of doing very similar stuff to me. So more or less every day I'm, I see this onslaught of people talking about their career achievements. And of course I am very excited and celebrate everyone else's achievements, but it does kind of seep into your psyche. It's just a constant reminder of all of the things you haven't quite yet done. And because I'm working on a book right now, which is a, an absolutely amazing project, and I'm so grateful to be working on it, it's a, it's a long project. And that's something that I'm not used to. I'm a journalist, you know, even with this podcast, I, I make a piece of content and I put it out more or less straight away. And I get that feedback working on a project over the course of several months and um, just with such a large word count is a completely different beast. And there is no way to write a book other than just to squirrel yourself away and just to keep writing it. And it's been really great not looking at Instagram and not being reminded of everyone else achieving certain career milestones kind of ticking away in the background. So it's actually made the experience of writing the book so much more enjoyable. That's not to say writing the book has been easy, but I've actually been able to enjoy the process of doing it and essentially not feel like I'm missing out on other work opportunities by looking at what other people are doing. Um, 
actually, again, this kind of like, as I'm saying all this, it does remind me of a very early episode that we did, which was all about success in the age of Instagram and how Instagram really skews our perceptions of success. But even as someone who is very aware of that and has it at the forefront of their mind, nonetheless, it still affects me as well. So having this time off has been has been really, really good. Was there anything you missed about it? I missed talking to friends on Twitter. So I have internet friends mainly. I wouldn't, other than you, I don't really talk to any of my real life friends on Twitter. I talk mainly with other internet-y type friends or kind of professional contact who, to be honest, in my world, my professional contacts are my friends. But I really miss talking with them on Twitter. And for the most part, I have actually very intentionally put a lot of effort into trying to curate my feeds so that they are mainly positive. And I try to only follow people who share positive things or or add to conversations. I really I really don't engage with kind of trolls or anything like that. But nonetheless, these things do, still do get retweeted into your timeline. Um, but anyway, yes, I did really miss talking to friends on Twitter. And then I'm, on Instagram, I think I missed, I think I actually did miss the, just watching the kind of mundane aspects of people's lives. Like I do miss the Instagram stories, you know, some friends of ours went on holiday and I didn't even realize that they'd gone because I wasn't on Instagram to watch their Instagram stories. And I do like watching my friends having a nice time. I like watching their holiday content. It is kind of, you know, back in the day we would have gathered around a um, projector and we would have seen, you know, slideshows of their holiday snaps. And I like watching people being on holiday in real time. And I like watching photos of dogs and babies and, you know, attempts to make sourdough and all of that kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't make me feel like I have missed out socially, if anything, quite the opposite, because, you know, sometimes you have those situations where some of your friends are hanging out and you're not there and then you feel like you've been left out. But, you know, for example, well, you're about to go on holiday as we're recording this and probably actually, you know what, this this will be my impetus for going back on social. You're about to go on holiday and I want to see what you get up to on your holiday. So I'm going to go back on Instagram so I can watch your what I know will be really great Instagram stories. I do love my daily content my like stream of consciousness of Instagram stories but I've really missed having you from that perspective because I'm like oh weird like Anna doesn't know that I um had that for lunch today (laughs) yeah exactly so I I feel like it's yeah it's such a it's so hard because I find myself because I am a bit overtired I am overstretched um and obviously I'm going away tomorrow so that's that's nice but I find myself scrolling when I'm in that headspace and it's like oh it's like it's sort of it's like eating a um actually I don't want to I, I quite like McDonald's but you know how you um feel gross after eating certain thing like that's kind of how I feel if I'm like scrolling from quite a uh negative space and I know we talked about this in the procrastination episode like actually it's your you need rest sometimes when that's happening or maybe you're trying to hide from the uncomfortable feelings so when I'm in that space with the socials it's not great but then 
I also do use it. I love creating content on socials. I love interacting with people, sending messages. I love hearing from people. And yeah, but it just felt weird, like you not knowing what I was doing all the time. Like it is a way of us, like another way of us communicating. I will tell you something. Quitting social media does not fix the procrastination problem. So I have this as well. I will scroll when I'm not when I'm in a negative headspace and it makes matters worse. I now don't have that option to scroll. But when I'm in a negative headspace, I'm still doing things that are not contributing positively. For example, I am I cannot stop myself looking in my inbox. I have deleted the in the Gmail app off my phone, but because I have a Google phone, I can't actually get rid of my and I use Gmail. I can't get rid of my emails altogether. So I go onto the Gmail web browser and I just compulsively look at my emails. And all it does, it, it, it you know, I do it in those time and in those moments when you know, I'm waiting for something or I have those kind of five minutes in between a call or basically at times when I really shouldn't be looking at my email, I just compulsively look at it. Or what the other thing I have been doing, I have been scrolling on the Guardian's app, which is also not great for your mental health because you go on the Guardian homepage and it is just well, this is, you know, I'm not to single out The Guardian here, any news apps, website, I'm just particularly, I am specifically using The Guardian app. The news is all negative and it puts you in a really, it, if you're in a bad headspace and, you, and you're reading all of this negative news, it, guess what? It's only going to make it worse. So removing social in and of itself, again, it's going back to treating the symptoms rather than the cause. I, I don't want it to sound like, oh, I've left social and now suddenly my life is amazing and I'm so productive and motivated and I don't have a care in the world. Not at all. Our relationship with social media is a lot more complicated than that. And I don't want to say that I'm never going to go back on social again, because I do, I do miss using parts of it. And if anything, what the, the the biggest and most important lesson to me has been that my sort of problems with procrastination and all of that kind of stuff, they run a lot deeper. It's not just a case of, oh, I spend too much time on Instagram. It's it's that it's more than that. And actually, it's it's brought a really laser sharp awareness to that, which has been really, really valuable. I'm so honoured you'll be returning for my uh, Cyprus picks. Just for you. Maybe, I, maybe I'll delete everyone else I follow and I only follow, <laughs> follow you. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that I just feel like I, I do love doing it, but I just feel like I'm at a stage because I'm in this process of a career change where I'm almost like not allowed to even consider like taking my foot off the gas in any shape or form, whether that's like social media or whatever it might be like I feel like I haven't earned or got to where I want to yet before I can sort of think about stuff like that and I think that's partly why um I feel like I'm really pushing myself and I I almost feel like I'm a university graduate like I'm kind of I do have a lot of experience but I feel like I'm in such the infantile stages of this different type of career and this different type of work that I want to do and it's a really, really hard path. And I'm trying to work out how to balance that in a sustainable way. Um, 
so that I can continue to go on this incredible journey, but without killing myself, basically. It reminds me a lot of when we talked with the creative rebels who are Adam Brazier and David Speed, who host the Creative Rebels podcast, and they also run a number of creative businesses. And they were talking about when you start a creative journey, those initial three years are the hardest. And actually, it's almost like you are a graduate and it takes those three years to get in the swing of things. And anecdotal evidence from my own history does support this theory because it would definitely took me a good three years after I graduated to really kind of find my footing in my career. Um, actually, that's kind of, and at that point, I pretty much ended up going back and doing another degree. And then again, after graduating, took another three years to really find my footing. And with my freelancing, as it so happens, um, I've kind of been reflecting because I'm now in my, I'm, I'm in my fourth financial year of freelancing and I've been been reflecting over this time and even just from a purely financial point of view my biggest jump happened in my third year of freelancing my biggest kind of jump in terms of the money that I was making so this idea of being a creative graduate and it just taking time to see impact is is a really, really important point, I think, to make. And also, nonetheless, I think it's also really important to acknowledge that three years is a long time. Um, so there is just so much to be said about consistency and just sticking with something and how that often is the thing that, it, you know, this is there is no secret break that many of us get, you know, those of us who do creative careers. In very few cases, there is some kind of magic big break. It's just sticking with it. And for for a long time, a lot of that grind is kind of done in, in obscurity until finally stuff starts to feel like it's paying off. I keep clinging on to that three-year thing that the creative rebels talk about because I feel like, okay, I say to myself, I'm in year one. And I've written about this in my newsletter when I wrote about patience and I called that newsletter dare to dream. And I wrote about, I'm really ambitious. Um, and I have high standards, what I want from life, both with regards to relationship, but job and everything really. And what that means is I have to be really, really patient to get there. And that's going to take time. And I keep saying to myself, keep going, be patient and um, don't give up. And actually, it makes me think um, when I heard Bernadine Evaristo on How to Fail, uh, Elizabeth Day's podcast, How to Fail, she talked about how most writers give up. Um, and I keep saying to myself, I don't want to give up. I want to keep going. And, and that patience is so important for me pursuing this path. But also, I think patience has been thrust upon all of us, actually, with what's happened with the pandemic. So I think I won't be alone by saying it's a, an important word to carry for 2020. Gosh, patience. I mean, that is a virtue I do not possess. And yet it's one that I really, really want to strive towards because I just think it is so important and can be so transformative. So patience, um, that I'm going to make that my watchword for 2020. Wonderful for what's left of it what's left of 2020 um the other thing as well that 
I've been thinking about is examining. So in coaching, we call it the saboteur, which is essentially like the negative self-talk, that kind of lack of confidence, lack of imposter, um, that imposter syndrome. And I really enjoyed talking to Africa Brooke, who is a mindset coach um, on the podcast about how much what we say to ourselves impacts our actions and our thoughts and how actually we can change those things. Words do matter. And I really enjoy talking to her about how we actually tell ourselves narratives around, I am a morning person. I am a procrastinator. I am lazy. And actually we should be instead saying, I experience this rather than I am. And how actually a lot of these identities we form around ourselves can often hold us back. And so I just love the opportunity to explore that. And then also in coaching with regards to saboteur, um, we, someone said something that I found quite transformative where they were like, saboteurs exist to keep you safe. And suddenly I was like, oh, it's almost like a parent in your head where they just want to keep you alive. Okay. That's cool. I get it. Like my, my, my little saboteur in my head doesn't want me to humiliate myself or to run out of money or whatever it might be. And I'm like, I respect you being here because you're trying to keep me safe, but I'm not going to let you stop me doing what I want to do. And imposter syndrome is talked about so much all the time, but I really want to embrace it. I almost feel like if you're not thinking it at some level, at some point, then maybe you're not pushing yourself or maybe you're staying too safe and a little bit too, um, too within yourself. And I always think about that Oliver Berkman column back in 2014 about how everybody's winging it all the time. That column I has just been burned into my memory. It was just one of those things where it's one of those things that you read and you think, oh, this is what I, I, I suspected this was the case, but I'm so glad that this has been articulated. Yes. And I wrote something about confidence a couple of years ago, a year ago. And um, I actually said the bigger the job, the more they're winging it. So like the prime minister or, and also I spent a lot of time with entrepreneurs and they really don't know what they're doing. And um <laughs> because they're starting something new and they're often from a different background, but you, and, and similarly, like, you know, the way our government's set up, you become education secretary or health minister or whatever. And then you move around or like you can be foreign secretary, you know, the bigger the job, the less, ex like the less experience or the less, you know what you're doing. And I find that so comforting because I don't really know what I'm doing either. And that's cool let's keep let's keep pushing through and one f final thought uh to come back to this sort of work-life balance thing that we've talked about and I think Anna you so beautifully talked about how you needed to center the self rather than trying to play on the weighing scales of work-life balance I'm just learning more and more that you have to look at your life as a whole because it all feeds and impacts each other and what's interesting is I've been trained in life coaching. So like all the, all the aspects of your life, because it doesn't actually matter necessarily what topic you bring to a coach, but people feel more comfortable or maybe this, maybe the problem they're having shows up in their working life. But once you start to delve, it turns out that all these things are so intertwined, as you say, Anna, you're one centered person 
that you almost need to ground the tree trunk, if that works, before you can truly blossom. Um, so just more and more, I'm just seeing how these two things work together and work is our lives. Work is life and life is work. <laughs> um, I think that's a really great note to end this on. And I invite anyone listening to spend the time that we have in our break centering yourselves whilst we do the same and we are looking forward to being back on the airwaves at some point in the future. Thanks for listening as ever. Thank you. We will be back and we look forward to speaking to you then. Look after yourselves. Bye. Bye. You are listening to Is This Working? Hosted by Anna Co-Gerardo and Tiffany Philippou. Produced by Chris Bannister. Continue the conversation with us over on Twitter at isthisworking underscore show.